sure has been hot outside. The last two days set records for the hottest days since records have been kept. People are very uncomfortable. You go around town and you see very few people out on the street. People are wanting to escape the heat. Many of you are much more comfortable in here than you would be outside. Think with me for a moment before I begin our sermon. We don't want to wake up after our eyelids close in death to be in torments as was the rich man. He was tormented in the flames. We want to wake up like Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. In order for us to enjoy a place that is not beset with pain and suffering and fire, we've got to be in a place where there is comfort. God designed a place. That place is called the church. If you want to enjoy the safety, the protection, then you need to be a member of the body of Christ because it is that body that is going to be saved eternally. Let me dovetail that in with our series of sermons from the book of Ephesians. For the past several weeks, we have been studying the book of Ephesians with the idea that we're going to look at it in an in-depth type way, that we're going to let the text drive our study. And this morning, we're going to begin Ephesians chapter 3. By way of introduction... Paul begins the letter to the Ephesians with the emphasis on blessings. The fact that all spiritual blessings are found in Jesus Christ in the heavenly places, chapter 1 and verse 3. He continues through the rest of chapter 1 into chapter 2 and continues to emphasize the blessings that you and I enjoy. He then transitions to the nature of the body, the church, and the fact that it is there where the blessings are found and it is there where Jesus has placed all his efforts for salvation. Ultimately, he emphasizes the behavior of those who have been blessed and placed within the body. The book of Ephesians is a marvelous book, and I will tell you that I learn more and more and more every day as I consider this wonderful book. The study today will come from the first part of Ephesians. I will tell you there are 21 verses in this chapter, and yet there are only five sentences in fact, I encourage you to open your Bibles there to chapter 3 and just scan down from verse to verse to verse and you will notice that the verse doesn't end with a period. The verse many times ends with a comma indicating that the thought continues. And I will put, tell you that we're going to study today verses 1 through 7 which is simply one sentence. And you say, can you get a whole sermon out of one sentence? Most certainly you can when it is written by the Apostle Paul guided by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Let's consider three things in our lesson this morning. Reason, revelation, and reading. 
So let's begin, first of all, with the idea of reason. Notice with me chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. I want to draw attention to those words, for this reason. That phrase is found in the Bible 26 times. Interesting study. In fact, you can just go and look at all 26 times it appears, and you can learn a lot. If you look in the original language, the specific Greek words in the specific order in which they appear is found three times. And there's a lot to be learned from that. But let me just simply point out to you that people have reasons for doing what they do. You do, and I do. For instance, when you talk about a person choosing a career, many of you who are working in various positions are doing that because you had a reason for so doing. It may be that you chose the career that you chose because you didn't want to deal with the public. Maybe you wanted to work in a factory job and you wanted to uh, be a person who just simply made something with their hands. It may be that you chose the occupation that you have because you can make a lot of money out of it. It may be that you chose the occupation that you have because it was easy for you. But in each case, you had a reason for doing what you do. This very morning, everyone here has a reason for being here. For some of you, the reason for being here is mom and daddy brought me and I've got to be here. For some of you, the reason for being here is because you want others to see you going to church. You're concerned about your peers. For many, your purpose for being here, your reason for being here is you love God you want to honor Him. You want to glorify Him. You want to do His will exactly the way He said to do it. But in each case, you have a reason. Now in this context, what does Paul mean? When he says, for this reason, it relates to the message of Paul serving as a minister or a messenger to you Gentiles. God had a plan to save them and Paul was chosen to go to them, and he was going to be able to provide what they needed. I think it's essential that when we look at Paul says, for this reason, he is tying together the elements of chapter 2, and he begins it in chapter 3 to reemphasize that. Let me just take you through the Bible just a little bit to show you the point I'm trying to make. In Acts 22 and verse 1, Paul had been arrested, permitted given the opportunity to speak to those Hebrew brethren. And he said to them, Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you from here to the Gentiles. Paul said, God specifically directed me to go to the Gentiles. Acts 28, verse 28, When he met with the brethren in Rome, or excuse me, the Jewish people in Rome, his Jewish brethren, he said, therefore let it be known to you that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. You see, Paul was given the job. The Gentiles were looking for somebody to preach to them and you have a perfect marriage 
of someone willing to go and some people willing to hear. And that's why Paul was writing the book of Ephesians, the why he was preaching the gospel, and why he was sent to the Gentiles. In Romans 11 and verse 13, Paul would say, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. In all of this, Paul is emphasizing his reason. For just a moment or two, let's just divert or take a a detour. And let's think about ourselves. In Isaiah 41 and verse 21, to those people who were worshiping idols, he made this statement, Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. In other words, produce your reasons. What are you doing and why are you doing it? God had his reasons for wanting to save man. His reason, his motivation, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul had his reason for wanting to preach. I would suggest to you studying such passages as 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul said, I became all things to all men that I might be all that I might save some. And then he goes on to say that I may be a partaker. Paul preached the way he did because he loved men and because he wanted to be saved himself. Now, that brings me to making it applicable to us. What are your reasons for being a Christian or not being a Christian? Why did you choose, for those of you who are Christians, to be baptized for the remission of your sins? What was your motivating factor? What pushed you? What were your reasons? Present those reasons. Brother Larry alluded to in the prayer, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, For sanctifying your hearts, Christ Jesus is Lord, being ready always to give an answer to every man that asks the reason of hope that is within you, yet with meekness and fear. But for those of you who are not Christians, I really want you to think, why are you not a Christian? Present your reason. Someone might say, but I, I don't know enough. I don't understand what the Bible teaches about this or that. Let me ask you, beg of you, plead with you. If that's your case, don't leave here this morning without asking me or one of the elders to sit down and talk with you just a little bit to try to open the Bible and explain it. Or is it in your mind, I don't know that I can be faithful to the Lord. I've heard many people say, Preacher, the real reasons why I hadn't yet obeyed the gospel is I don't know I can be faithful. Let me give you the biblical answer. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34, he says, Be not anxious for the morrow, for the morrow shall be anxious for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, or as one translation puts it, each day has enough trouble of its own. Can you be faithful today? Well, sure I can. I can choose to do what God says to do today. Okay. 
do that today. When tomorrow comes, choose to do that. Live, as Jesus said, one day at a time. The truth is, we all have our reasons. And Paul says, for this reason I, and then he goes on to emphasize it. Now I've got to move on. Number two, let's talk about Revelation. Let's look at verses two and three. Indeed, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. Now, I want you to notice the idea, first of all, of the mystery. Paul said here, this mystery was made known to him by revelation. The mystery as we have already observed in our previous lessons, was the fact that God had a plan to save man. That plan involved the coming of Jesus Christ. That plan involved both Jew and Gentile being brought into one body. If you'll notice with me, verse 6, he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. That's what the mystery revealed. It wasn't any longer that the Jews were the only chosen people of God. I like the way Paul put it to the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. He said, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you. What a great thought of the revelation of that mystery. Paul says, I received it by revelation. He reiterates that more than once in the Bible. For instance, Ephesians chapter 3, notice when he verse 5. He says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Dropping down to verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. You see, it was something hidden. Now it's revealed. When Paul wrote the Galatians, he said in Galatians 1, 11 and 12, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me was not according or is not according to man, for neither I received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through revelation of Jesus Christ. What Paul keeps trying to emphasize is, folks, I didn't make this up on my own. This is not my sermon to you. Paul is saying what I am preaching to you is revealed from God. I thought in preparation of this lesson, just go on here, but I keep trying to step back and ask the question, perhaps do some people understand what that really means to be revealed? How did God give this revelation to Paul? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 13, But God revealed them to us through His Spirit. 
Yes, the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit, a member of the Godhead, which is composed of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is able to search the mind of God and is able to reveal that to man. You drop down to verse 13. The things we also speak. In other words, the words that were revealed from the Spirit to the mind of the holy apostles and prophets were spoken. It was verbal. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but what the Spirit teaches. Not man's words. That's the idea that the thoughts came from God through the Spirit into the mind of men like Peter and Paul and Matthew and John as they write the New Testament. In 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, he says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God moved them to speak. That's how he revealed it. And you and I have that revelation today. We have it in our Bibles. As we read that, that is all the way from the mind of God through the Spirit into the minds of inspired men who spoke it and wrote it. And you and I have it in our Bibles. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. I suggest to you, when we see Paul saying that by revelation, he is suggesting this is something that God wanted you and I to know. In fact, he says that in verse 9, that all men may know or have the fellowship of this mystery here. Well, let me bring you to the third part of our lesson, and this is equally important to the others. Look with me at verse 2 and verse 4. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. Verse 4. By which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of God or of Christ. If you want to key on two things, there's two ways the message was imparted. The message was imparted by hearing and by reading. There were holy men of God like Peter and Paul who would come and speak and they spoke by the direction of the Holy Spirit. And the message that was heard was inspired. On the other hand, there are times and there are places where the message was written down. And that written message was every bit as authoritative and every bit as permanent as the spoken message. I want you to notice the words that he says here. If indeed. Now, one of the things I've been trying to do is going through this is to look at the grammar as well. 
And sometimes when you find the word if, it is conditional. If you will do this, then this happens. But that's not the form of this one. If indeed here does not imply a conditional statement, but one of a wish. Like, for instance, a parent say, Oh, if my child would only study, he could make really good grades. That's expressing a wish. And here Paul says, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of this mystery. Which brings me to that word dispensation as well. When I use the word dispensation, I know what comes to most of our minds. I was raised on the Jewel Miller film strips, like I'm sure most of you were. And you can still hear the little ding as the uh, slides or the film strip would advance. And the speaker would talk about the patriarchal dispensation, the mosaic dispensation, and the Christian dispensation. And in our minds, the word dispensation carries with it the idea of a span of time. That is not what this word means. The better translation would be stewardship. In fact, the Greek word is oikonomos, from which we get our word economics. And it referred to a person who managed the household, who managed the funds. Let me give you an illustration. If I go to Luke chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, there Luke records, So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. The word stewardship in verses 2 and 3 is exactly the same word over here. And Paul says, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of this. Oh, that makes a whole lot more sense now. And what it means is Paul had been entrusted with, made a steward of the oracles of God. And as a steward, having been entrusted with that, he's got to dispose of it properly. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. That's exactly what he is talking about here. What Paul is emphasizing is his fidelity to God and the preaching of this gospel. I want you to understand I'm carrying out the obligations as a stewardship has been placed upon me. If you're in the class here in just a few minutes, we're going to be studying 2 Corinthians, the last part of chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll be going into the first part of chapter 4. And when you get to chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I want you to understand, Paul said, we're not the kind of people who take God's word, we twist it, we mold it, we manipulate it to say what we want it to say. In chapter 1 and verse 13, the first part of the verse, he said, For we are not writing to you any other things to which you read or understand. 
that when you read, he says, he's emphasizing here, he's not changing the message. He's fulfilling an obligation, something that has been entrusted to him. Now, I've got to ask the question, do you read? Do you read the Word of God? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says to Timothy, Let no man despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And then he goes on to verse 13 and he says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. I want you to give attention to reading. Timothy, what are you supposed to read? Well, Paul has made it very clear to Timothy. These old wives' fables, genealogies, these things, they're profit, unprofitable and useless. They bring about division. They bring about conflict. What should you be concerned with, Timothy? Second Timothy 3, verse 15, And from a child you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Oh, Timothy, you've got to read the Word. Read the Scriptures. In Matthew 22, verse 31, we have a phrase of Jesus that appears several times in Scriptures. On this occasion, it's with the Sadducees. And he said to them, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying? Sometimes... We need to look at people and say, are you not reading your Bible? If you were reading it, you'd be getting a little more information from it. I've got to be honest with you, folks. Sometimes we need to say, shame on us. Because we're not reading that Bible like we ought to be reading. And Nehemiah 8 and verse 3, Then he read it from the open square in front of the water gate from the morning till midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all people were attentive to the book of the law. Whether you are reading it yourself or somebody is reading it to you, you need to pay attention. This is eternally significant as to whether you will spend eternity in the heat or you will spend eternity with God. Do you understand? In Acts 8 and verse 30, Philip was sent by the Spirit to a man who was from Ethiopia who was reading from Isaiah 53. And the text records, Luke says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. And said, do you understand what you're reading? That eunuch did not understand. I know that there are times when I'm reading through the Bible and there are places and parts of it I'm like, I'm not sure what that says. If that is the case, then I need to do a little more study. And it's also appropriate to do, as the eunuch said, how can I except someone guide me? Not tell you what it says. Guide you to what it says. Jesus challenged men like that. 
In Luke 10 and verse 26, he said to him, What is written in the law and what is your reading of it? You've read it, now how are you going to apply it? As I open up Ephesians 3, what am I seeing? I'm seeing Paul talking about the importance of reasons. Why? Number two, I see him talking about revelation. What? And then I see him talking about reading and the application of what I learn. There's a reason for the invitation. The reason for the invitation is not this. It's not to just sign off the sermon just like some people think. You say amen at the end of prayer to signal, okay, the prayer is over. When you begin to extend the invitation, it is not to say, okay, everybody grab your books. The preacher's almost through. No. There's a reason behind the invitation. It is because of the revelation of God's will. Because Jesus would say in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and you shall find rest for your souls. It calls for a response on your part. You see, the invitation is to put before you the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. If you need to become a Christian this morning, we sing to encourage you. If you are a Christian struggling with sin in your life, it's to encourage you. Would you come as we stand and sing?